taking a little break this morning from our sermon series uh, on the incomparable Jesus, and um, we're going to go through Psalm 118, and I think it's just appropriate for us this morning as we uh, kind of get toward the end of the year, and we think about um, all the things that have happened this year, I would, I would throw out to you, do I dare? Yes, I will dare. Okay. This is non-rhetorical. Okay? All right? So go ahead and how would you describe 2020? Weird. <laughs> not supposed to, Mike says you're not supposed to speak like that in church, so. <laughs> Somebody said weird. What else is out there? Difficult. Refining. Challenging. Confining. <laughs> what else? Restrictive. Wackadoodle. I like that one. Divided. Lonely. Annoying. Did your mom tell you to say that one? All right. Notice nobody said anything particularly positive. Refining, I guess, yes, thank you, Jesus, for your refining in our, in our lives. Um, the Bible talks about being disciplined, and God only disciplines those he loves, and discipline doesn't feel good at the time. Um, and I do agree with that. I do think some of what this year was was a disciplining of us as a church. It's very telling uh, of how we understand what the church is, and it's a very telling of how we understand what gathering means Together, And I think, you know, there is something of God's refining us and, and um, doing some work in us. But it's not easy, right? This, it, it, no matter how you describe 2020, it hasn't been like, what one, what we thought, right? Nobody here could say, oh, I knew that this was going to happen. You know, um, uh, so many preachers were saying at, at, the begin, at the end of 2019, oh, I can't wait for this year because it's going to be the year of vision, right? 2020. It's hindsight where it's like everything's clear and we're going to be able to preach all these sermons about like, yes, moving forward and like it's going to be the year of us kicking butt and taking names and charging up hills and planting the flag of the kingdom of God. Oh, man. But it hasn't really felt like that. It's felt like pivoting and chaos and treacherous and... You know, all of the things that we could say, it's been a hard, hard, hard year. I think um, if I could dip back into 2019 a bit, the end of 2019 into this year, this has probably been the hardest year that we've ever experienced, like me personally. Just a lot of, a lot of hard stuff. You know, my, my dad passed away. We had some leaders in the church who stepped off of the team in a really unhelpful way. We've seen the church go, like, really surge forward and, you know, do some great things. And then all of a sudden, we'd have to pivot, and it feels like, oh, we're getting pushed back. It, was, it feels like it's been a year at least of three steps forward, two steps back, over and over and over again. And I think that if we were to circumstantially, as a group of people and even individuals as Christians, 
to look at our circumstances, just by themselves we would say, man, I don't know if this is a year that it is appropriate to give thanks to God. It feels a little, I don't know, is glib the right word? It feels a little, oh, like, I don't know, you're standing on toes a little bit. How dare you kind of even give thanks to God? I think we need to have this feeling of solemnness. You ever walk into a funeral um, into a church when there's a funeral, you, you walk in appropriately. You don't walk in like high-fiving everybody. Hey, how's it going, man? No, you, you come in with solemnness because you feel the weight of the loss. You feel the weight of people mourning a loved one being passed on. And, and it feels like this year, maybe that's how we should be. Maybe at the end of the year, we should all just be walking with our heads down and not high-fiving one another because this year's been a tough one. But, <laughs> I think Psalm 118, as we're about to read here, even though it doesn't, well, we'll get into it, but I, I think Psalm 118 is going to be appropriate for us, because what I want us to do this morning is answer the question, not that you were asking, but is it appropriate to give thanks? Is it, I mean, we just stuffed ourselves with turkey, and that's the tradition, beautiful, wonderful tradition, Abraham Lincoln set it in place, Right? And I, I'm so grateful for men of God who established godly rhythms into our nation that we can set aside, even if it's just one day, a time where we could tell ourselves, hey, let's lift our eyes to God and get friends and family and let's celebrate the greatness of who God is together. And that's really what we're doing here this morning. And so I think if we're going to ask the question, is it appropriate to give thanks this year? I think Psalm 118 is going to help us do that. So, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you're not sure where Psalms is, the book of Psalms, it's about the middle of your Bible and um, about halfway through. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning, which Mike is probably really happy about. All right, some of you guys are like, yes. Um, normally, we read from the ESV because we're proud and arrogant and we really want to... <laughs> Okay, never mind. Um, but the NIV is really beautiful this morning, and here's what I want us to do. Let's read the first four verses. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, I think. And if you're watching online this morning, we're so stoked to have you guys here with us. Um, I know that sometimes we can forget you're there, and so we just want to say welcome we are so excited that you are joining with us this morning online. Beautiful, wonderful church of God, and so welcome. I'm glad you're joining us this morning. This is what the word of the Lord says. Psalm 118, the first four verses says this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Forever. Let the house of Aaron or the priests say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, Everybody together, His love endures forever. So here we see the psalmist, and I think it's David. A lot of the commentaries would say, No, this is probably David. Here, sometimes the Psalms have been written by different people, and it's not always sure exactly who is writing it, but the, most of the commentaries say this is probably David writing this psalm. He's not just giving 
us a command or a challenge to give thanks to God by himself. Well, he just can't contain, it seems like here, the, the gratitude that's in his heart because of the faithfulness, the greatness of who God is. And so he doesn't just say to himself, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. He says, all right, that's for me, but now everybody, come on, join in together with us. All of you who are the, the, the saints together, all of you who call yourself the priests, um, all of those people in the congregation, let's come together and talk about and give thanks and glorify and exemplify and lift up in our hearts the greatness of who God is. And friends, if there was ever a year to give thanks to God, it would be 2020. Does that feel a little wrong when I say that? Usually we want to give thanks to God because what? Our circumstances, right? Hey, how's your week? It's been amazing. Well, tell me about your week. Well, man, I, I, I sold a house, you know. Lori's doing real estate. And she, we could be, Lori, how's real estate going? It's been incredible. I just sold 50 houses. $100,000 commission each one. And I'm going to tithe it to the church. And we all go, whoa, his steadfast love is amazing. He endures forever. God is so good. Look at what's going on in your life. How about you? Well, man, I just want to tell you somebody who just blessed me big time. They gave me a car. I needed a car. I couldn't afford a car. And they said, hey, I want to give you this car. I just felt like God was speaking to me personally for you. And guess what? God is so faithful. It's easy to give thanks in those times. Guess what's going on with my kids? My kids, all of a sudden, like, it's just been a week, but they're all obeying. <laughs> Give thanks to God. His steadfast love endures forever. His mercy is so good and kind. And when I say something like, man, 2020 is the year to give thanks, it's like, well, what in the heck for? Can I say heck? You guys are right with that? Nobody said anything like, man, how's 2020 been? Beautiful. A dream. It's been the year of just absolute blessing and blessing and blessing in my life. And yet the psalmist here, we're going to see in a moment, as Autumn helped us see with bees, it's not dependent on circumstances, it's dependent on something else. So Psalm 118 really helps us, I think. It's really appropriate for us as individuals and as a church to biblically help us understand what it means to be thankful. Because if it's based on circumstance, a vast majority of us, not only in this room, but in our nation and around the world, should all feel very, very, very depressed and solemn because this has been a tough year. I want us to understand a couple things about biblical thankfulness is that it doesn't depend on our circumstances and you don't have to pretend. Okay? So 
You ever hear, you ever hear this kind of story? Like the husband and wife, they're getting ready for church. The kids are going crazy. Kids are waking up late. The, the kids are spilling milk, cereal, like husband and wife. Get the kids ready. Why are you always... Right? All at each other, all crunchy in the morning, and then they get to church and walk in. Okay, now, you're going to smile when you walk in here, telling the kids. And you better behave and like, all right, we good? We're good. Okay, we're good. And then you walk in and you go, hi. And somebody greets you at the door. How you doing? Oh, blessed, brother. So good. As if somehow in the church, you got to get all your junk worked out before you're allowed to walk in the door, Right? And there's this culture among us as Christians that you have to have it all together to come into this place and sing. I mean, after all, you're going to sing these songs and still feel kind of grumpy in your heart? That's really hypocritical. We don't want to be hypocritical, so let's at least just fake it until we make it. (laughs) No. See, Scripture is so real. It's so beautiful. I love that. The, the, the Bible doesn't try to pretend. It doesn't try to tell us to pretend. It doesn't any of that nonsense. It just tells us, hey, here's reality. And look at what verses 8 through 14 say here. I know we're skipping a couple of verses. We're going to come back to them. Um, but this is just the way I organize it. It says this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That kind of sounds almost cynical, doesn't it? But it's a true statement. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Why? I think the psalmist is describing some of the hardships here in verse 10. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side. Anyone feeling like this year you've been surrounded a little bit like on every side of some hardships? It's like, Lord, can I just get a break? we just get a win? Can we just like, just one area, uh, please. Verse 12, they swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. And I love this in verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become what? My salvation. Now, is the psalmist here saying, give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever? Because look, everything is going super good right now. I mean, I don't know what's happening, but just it seems like everything's just like, it's, it's amazing. And so it's easy for me to declare. It's easy for me to write this down. It's a psalm. I'm going to write it to the nation of Israel. Come on, guys. Look how good we have it right now. Come on, let's all praise God. No, what he's saying is, my enemies were out to kill me. Anybody here have people that are trying to kill you right now? Probably not. Maybe, I don't know, but probably not. Anybody feel like your enemies are surrounding you on every side and they're like bees swarming you? There's so many that all you can do in defense is swing at the air and run around like a crazy person because it's so overwhelming you don't know what to do. You're going to jump into the swimming pool, is that what you said? Put the little tube up, like the cartoons. 
See, the psalmist doesn't say give thanks because everything's good. He's saying even in the midst of the enemy actually actively right now in this very moment trying to kill me, I will still give thanks to God. And here's, here's the thing. If you're feeling this morning like, man, this year has been tough, that's okay. Let's not try to pretend like it hasn't. Let's, some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost income. Some of us have grown in fear. Some of us are just watching the world and we're getting frustrated. Oh, I don't know what it, let's not pretend that stuff's not happening. It is happening. And God would say to you, and church, I would say to you as your pastor this morning, that's okay. We don't have to put our heads in the sand. But I want us to notice one thing that the psalmist says here. Go back to verse 10. He says, the second portion, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. What else does he say? In verse 11, but in the name of the Lord, what? I cut them off. Look at verse 12. What does he say at the bottom? In the name of the Lord, what? What? I cut them off. Yes. Good job. Good job. It says it right there. Now, what does it mean, I cut them off? I mean, for us today, we don't have, that's not where we live. We don't physically cut our enemies down anymore. Hopefully not. We're not living in that world right now. And what is the enemy? The enemy is Satan. We know that the enemy is Satan, and we know that the enemy is sin. Those are our two adversaries as Christians. It's not each other. It's not someone even gossiping about you because the enemy is using that as a tool. If that is happening, and you feel it from people, but that's not the enemy. The enemy is not each other. We are on the same team here this morning. But there is an enemy and the psalmist says, even though they surrounded me, I cut them off. And I would suggest to you this morning, Southlands Chino, that to cut them off is to give thanks to God. Is to give praise and to give worship to God who is due all adoration and glory and he's worthy of it. Now why do I say that's our weapon? Because, guys pay attention here, when... The enemy comes to distract us. When the enemy comes and he surrounds us, when the enemy comes and, and, and he shouts at us and tries to intimidate us, the first thing that we tend to do is to get all defensive and hunker down and be afraid and start to look at our circumstances. And what we do is we start to do what this thing is called belly button gazing. Have you ever heard that? What's belly button gazing? Woe is me. Instead of looking, lifting our eyes up, it's woe is me. And the psalmist is saying, I cut them off. And for us there this morning to cut off the lies, the attack, the plans of the enemy is to lift our eyes and to give thanks to God because he's worthy. And even if we can't find something in our circumstances right now, we come back to the truth of who God is and we fix our eyes. Other area in the psalm says, you know, I'm walking through these valleys. And I go, where is my help? Where's my help? Because I look up and it's like I'm in the defensive position. I'm in the, 
they, the enemy feels like he's got the high ground. I'm down low in the valley, and all he's got to do is shoot down. It's easier. The wolves can look down on me as I'm walking through this valley. But as I start to look up, I get my eyes off of the enemy, and I start to get my eyes fixed on who God is. And in that, I choose to be disciplined and remember who God is. And I intentionally start to walk out this thankfulness and declare the greatness of who God is. You know what we do? Every single morning, we have pre-service prayer in a little room in the back. And how do we start off every single time? What we do is we start to tell the truths of who God is. What does that mean? That means that we, our hearts aren't always there, but it means that we start off and we say, okay, God, I just remind myself of the truths of who you're. God, God, you're glorious. God, you're worthy. God, you're holy. God, you're just. God, you're righteous. God, you're beautiful. And we just go down this list. And the thing is that as we start to declare these truths of who God is, these truths then all of a sudden start to penetrate our hearts. And whether we came in in a good mood or a bad mood or whether we had a great week or kind of a so-so week, whatever it is, as we start declaring in the middle of our circumstances, thankfulness to God, our perspective starts to change. 2020, how's it been? Terrible. Guess what? Let's give thanks to God, even in the midst of what feels like a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Those of you who have kids know what I'm talking about. So, we have to cut them off. And that's a discipline. It's not easy. When we tend to belly button gaze. How do we cut off the enemy? I want to say this morning that if you find yourself on the defense, this is a posture that we need to start taking offensively. The easy thing to do is to look at our circumstances and start complaining about it right? It's easier to point out negativity. It's easier. You ever ask somebody to critique like a presentation or you're in school and like, let's critique this or, you know, sometimes we'll even like on Sunday morning say, okay guys, what were some things that were really helpful for us as, as we gathered together? And what were some things that I think we need to avoid? You know, the things that we need to avoid, what we, I would call the red lights as we gather, are always the things that everyone has a ton of. Well, let's not do that again. Let's not do this. This was terrible. How about then? Yeah, that was really bad, okay? We could go on and on and on about all the things that we didn't go perfectly. And then you say, all right, what were some of the good things? Well, uh, Jesus was there. You know? Um, nobody died. Building didn't burn down, you know? It's like, come on! And it's so easy to get in this mode of complaining... And we think somehow that if we complain, we can shame our circumstances enough somehow. Like, we got to let, let this be known how terrible life is, and so I'm going to complain about it. Actually, what complaining does is just add fuel to the fire. <laughs> it actually builds up the attack of the enemy. And I would suggest to you guys this morning is that we need to fix our face in two ways. 
The Bible talks about we, we turn and we fix our face like flint. What, is that? what in the world does that mean? Flint is this really hard rock. And when the Bible says Jesus fixed his face towards Jerusalem, like flint, or someone's fixed their face, it means they turned from their circumstances and they determined to set in a certain progression and they fixed their face like flint, which means it was hard, it was set. No matter what things come to me in the sides and try to get and distract me, I'm setting my heart. But there's another kind of fix your face. There was this video, I think it was last year I saw, um, of a kid, and he was being grumpy. And the dad's trying to, like, sort out this kid, right? And he goes, hey, fix your face. And the kid's like, he's like, fix your face, or I'll fix it for you, right? And, I, and I've done that with my kids, like, hey, fix your face. And they know I'm not talking about just putting on a snake fake smile, a snake file, a fake smile, they know I'm talking about, hey, there's something going on in your heart right now that is causing you to have a grumpy face and have a grumpy heart and to treat everyone around you in a certain way. And you need to fix your face. And I'm not telling you as my child, just fake it and put a smile on What I'm telling you is talk to your heart, tell your heart right now, to, to, to tell your face. And we as Christians need to fix our face. Because when we do that, praise and thanksgiving is warfare. <laughs> you're having a tough year, you're having a tough day, you're having a tough week, month, I don't know, whatever it is. Can I encourage you, church, to first react with praise and and thanksgiving. One of my favorite movies, Braveheart, there's all this squabbling going on. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I'm going to be a noble. No, I'm a noble. We should do this with Scotland. No, we should do this with Scotland. And one of William, Wa William Wallace's generals, he picks up his giant axe and he just slings, boom, and he hits it on the table and everybody just shuts up. Because this authority had come and they realized all their squabbling wasn't doing anything. And it's the same way when we are giving praise and thanks to God. In the middle of what we're trying to squabble about, all of a sudden we lift our eyes and we lift our hearts and we give thanks and it just shuts the voice of the enemy off. Boom. Authority comes. And can I encourage you again, if you're in that place, give thanks to God. Give praise to God. And it's a posture. So my friend Alan will say this. He goes, when I find myself kind of feeling rebellious inside my heart, he goes, like, when I, especially in, like, corporate gatherings of worship, what do, what do I do? He goes, I get down on my knees, right? And as I do this, I find that my posture begins to help the inside. Or if I'm feeling particularly down and, you know, like, feeling sad about something, he goes, I just, I go and I lift my hand. And like, Lord, I need to receive. And everything inside of me doesn't really want to do that. But what I do is I posture myself. And we need to do that. We need to posture ourselves. We need to find ourselves, whether we tend to nasal gaze, gaze, whether I'm tending to feel frustrated or rebellious or whatever it is, 
I posture myself so that my heart starts to come in alignment to the greatness of who God is. And that's how we cut off the enemy. Look how the psalmist does this. We're almost done, guys. Look at verses 15 through 21. Where am I? It says this. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteousness. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. No one said that when I said, how was 2020? They said, oh, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. What does it mean that the Lord's right hand? Does that mean that God is right-handed? Kind of, not really. It's just talking about most people are right-handed. And most of your strength comes from your dominant hand. And when the Bible says the right hand of the Lord, it's talking about his dominance. It's talking about his authority. It's talking about his ability to be able to do something with competence. And when the psalmist says, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things, he's saying God is strong, God is powerful, he is not anemic, and he's able to do what he said he will do. I love this. I will not die, but live. How's life going? It's terrible, we're all going to die. No, I've lifted my eyes to God, and now I'm starting to realize I will not die, I'm going to live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me. There it is, the discipline. Severely. But he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. See, this is how the psalmist does it. What he does is he goes, okay, I will declare thanks. Even here's the reality of my situation. I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to lift my heart. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to focus on the character of God. If nothing else, if, if, it's, if you find it hard to be thankful, and your circumstances this year are telling you you have nothing to be thankful for, a good place to start is the character of God. Why? Because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. And guess what? He'll be the same tomorrow. But my circuit, uh, uh, uh. But this, ha- nope. Did that change? You know what, the elections? Still kind of like, Bleh. No, I'm the guy. No, I'm the guy. Right? What's going to happen? Guess what's not going to happen? The kingdom of God, the power of God, will not have diminished one ounce. Nor will it have gained one ounce, depending on who will be our president, of which political party will be in charge, how many Republican or Democrat senators will be in the Senate, and how many House of Representatives. The kingdom of God will not have changed one bit. Will God have changed? No. And so you're saying, I'm finding it hard to be thankful. I'm not sure what to be thankful for. Remember the truth of who God is. And the the beauty about this is not only is he the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he's all of who he is all of the time. So when we say, oh God, 
It feels like you're just being just right now and not loving. No, see, God says, no, no, that's not true about me. I am always 100% just, and I am always 100% loving. I'm always 100% faithful. I'm always 100% merciful. God doesn't like, well, I need to like show more of my justice here, so i got to dwindle or diminish a bit in some of the attribute of who I am over here. That wouldn't make any sense because we're all going through all different kinds of circumstances and some of us need the power of God's justice. Some of us need the power of God's holiness and his righteousness and his mercy and his love. All of that and God keeps all of those attributes of who he is all of the time. And it says here his right arm is mighty. He never diminishes. How do we give thanks to God? Remember the truth of who he is. How else should we do that? Well, we see that the psalmist talks about what God has done, too. Particularly in salvation. If you're a Christian this morning, all of us, if asked the question, how are you doing, should be able to reply, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Why? Because Jesus saved me. But look at this world. Look at 2020. Look at your finances. Look at this. Look at this. Look at it. Yeah, yeah, I know. But guess what? All of those things are just temporal. All of those things are just, they're going to fade away. But you know what's not going to fade away? I have a hope that is imperishable, that cannot be touched by rust or moth, and nothing can take that away from me because the work that's been done for me in Christ has been sealed for eternity, and I have an anchor that is held behind the veil in heaven, which is Jesus. And nothing and no one can take that hope away from me. And so you say, well, Kelly... What has God done? What has God done? He saved me, and that's enough. See, God doesn't owe any of us anything, and it's his mercy, as the psalmist says in the beginning, that he gave us salvation. Is reveling in your salvation enough for you? Is it? Is it enough for you? I know how you can answer that. Are you joyful about this year? (laughs) I'm not sometimes. And that means that my salvation, the joy of my salvation, sometimes is not enough for me. And then God in his mercy and his grace, he comes back and goes, Kelly, I want to remind you of what I've done for you. How do we do that? I mean, sometimes I'll be singing a song here on, on a Sunday morning, and then all of a sudden I remember, oh my gosh. I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve anything except for judgment and condemnation. And God in his mercy and his grace came and he saved me in spite of myself. And that should be, how was 2020? Better than I deserve. It's in, I mean, the reality is it's not just future hope. We have, salva- we have good things here now. I mean, I'm not trying to be, I don't know what the word was, but I mean, even think the fact that we are sitting in a room this morning where people all over the world would, would give anything to gather together to sit under the word of God. They would give anything. 
And some of us this morning, I mean, there might be people that in our church that say, oh, I've, I was there last week. Oh, I had too much turkey this week. Feeling a little tired. It's the holidays. And then there's people whose heads are getting cut off because they proclaim Christ. Think about the privilege that you and I have to be able to gather in person, to be able to gather online, to be able to sit under the preaching of the Word, to be able to hear each other's voices singing. Which leads me to my last point. It's this. Look at verses 22 and 27. Uh, Where am I? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in whose eyes? Our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let who? Us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. Thanks. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bow, bow in hands, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. So gratitude and thankfulness in this act of us doing this is not just for us individual. I'm not just preaching to you individuals. I'm preaching to us this morning. And there's something to be said about giving thanks together. Man, I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling a little intimidated by a situation and all of my buddies get around me and go, we got this, I feel a lot better. And why do we gather on a Sunday morning? Is it because it's the traditional thing to do? Yes, that's partly why we gather on a Sunday morning, because it's a beautiful, wonderful, godly tradition. But the, a, a deeper meaning and more meaningful thing of why we gather is because of this. It's because while we sing together is when I start to hear the voices of the saints singing in unison about the greatness of God. It does something inside of me. And when you start to hear me singing, not that my voice is particularly good, but what I'm saying is I need you and you need me. And we need to give thanks together as a church. And that's why it's meaningful for us to gather together because why are we here? It's not so we could sit for for an hour and a half and listen to this and know what's going to happen and all these kind of things and go, man, I did my duty. No, when I come, I'm like, man, Sunday morning, guess what's going to happen? We're going to give thanks together. We're going to get thanks. We're going to drink some good coffee. We're going to have some yummy donuts. The kids are going to play in this amazing playground. They're going to get, you know, a, a little lesson up here. Somebody's going to preach the word. We're going to gather together. And as we do this, the joy that's bubbling up inside of me, I'm going to present to the Lord. And in, the, in a mysterious way, that joy, as I present it to the Lord, is going to disseminate among my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, if I'm feeling particularly down or I'm finding it hard to give thanks and join in with maybe what might be a majority of people who are doing this, I'm going to receive something that I cannot get on my own. And by hearing these voices, by having someone come up and go, hey, how was your week? Hey, I'm sorry about this. How can I pray for you? We start to give thanks. And when 
my temptation because I'm isolated, I've been alone or whatever it is, and I start listening to my own condemning heart or lies of the enemy or watching way too much Fox or CNN and all this stuff, and the world is going to you know where in a handbasket. Somebody comes up to me and goes, guess what? God is good, and his mercy endures forever. And I go, that's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot. I forgot I started looking at my circumstances. That's right. You're absolutely, and it's so simple. It's so simple, but I, I forgot. I started thinking about all the bad things that were happening. I started focusing on them. I started letting fear rise up in with me. I started letting frustration rise up within me. I started getting divided and started seething within myself. And all of a sudden, because I came into this corporate sense of giving thanks to God together, it just brought me back into the truth of where I was supposed to be. Thankfulness changes your outlook. We skipped this part, but let's go back to it. Verses 5 through 7. This is how I want us to end. The psalmist says this. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord. Are you in anguish this morning? I am in certain areas. What should we do? Cry to the Lord. God, you're my only hope. And this is the beautiful thing, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's a rhetorical question because there's nothing. God's for you. Who could be against you? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look into triumph on my enemies. See, they're surrounding me, but when I start to give thanks, my eyes start to be lifted above the circumstances, and as I see the enemy coming, Fear no longer reigns. Frustration no longer reigns. Woe is me no longer reigns. It's triumph in my eyes. You know what? When David says, I can leap over a wall, I can rush over a troop of soldiers. Why is he saying this? Because he's so awesome and strong? No. Why? Because God is on his side. I'll end with this. This is a typical preacher. Ending ten times. I have a friend who tells a story about somebody who inherits a house, I think from a relative, old beat-down house, just dilapidated. Him and his wife are rummaging through the home, kind of see what they can salvage, if it's even worth, blah, 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 you know, and there's just, and as he, the husband, gets up in the attic, he gets up on a step stool, pops open the attic ceiling thing, you know, and and he just lifts his head above the rest of the junk that's in here. And all of a sudden, you see something in the attic that's been hidden away dusty. He pulls it out. It's this old painting. Finds out it's worth millions of dollars sitting up in the attic. He would have never known that that was there if he would have just looked down on the floor level and just been like, oh my gosh, this house is a disaster. Needs new plumbing. Needs new electrical, new floors, the kitchen's outdated, the tile's coming apart, the heating, the HVAC. I don't know what I'm going to do. This just looks like bees trying to get me, right? And then as he starts to lift his head above 
He sees something that is beautiful and valuable. And friends, 2020, it's bees. It is. But our discipline needs to be where we lift our heads above and say, yeah, yeah, this is real, but I'm going to choose to remember the greatness of who God is. Amen? We stand with thee this morning.